Let's stand together and uh, we're going to read God's Word from Mark chapter 6. We're uh, studying verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. And we've come to Mark chapter 6 verse 7. Uh, and we'll read Mark 6 verse 7 through verse 13 today. A passage about when Jesus sends the disciples out. And so our study this morning will be how he sent them out and what exactly he sent them out to do. So that we can know as his people how he would do the same for us. So Mark 6, beginning in verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he is one who calls unto himself. And then he sends out those he calls to proclaim about him. Father, I pray that you'd use this passage of Scripture for our good, for our edification, uh, change in us and in our lives and the pattern of our lives, anything that may need to change in light of this, and uh, that you'd use this word to help us believe the Scriptures are true and believe that you've given them for our good. So whatever the message is that the Holy Spirit intended when in this passage of Scripture was inspired, may that be the message we proclaim in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year, I was uh, coaching soccer, uh, seven- and eight-year-olds. Uh, don't know a whole lot about soccer, but I figured I can be organized and I can be encouraging and know enough to tell them to kick the ball into that goal. Uh, we were on one of our first games, and it was uh, going along, and one of the boys on our team was on the field, and all of a sudden, he walked off the field right in the middle of the game. And I was stunned for a little bit, and then he went, and there was his mom, and he just went down and sat beside his mom. And I'm on the other far, I'm on the far sideline, and I begin to encourage, let's come back into the game, uh, cajole, you know what that verb means, right? I begin to cajole him to come back into the game, encourage him to come back into the game, and y'all, he never came back into the game. Sat on the sidelines. And when I read this passage of Scripture, it's one of the first things I thought is, God is sending us out into this world to proclaim the gospel. And far too often, I think our response is, we went at it for a little bit, but then I'm just going to go find my spot on the sidelines. So let's use this passage to remember that we, as his people, his sheep, the church, we are called to be engaged, we're called to be active, we're called to take the gospel forth, And may we not be content to sort of sit it out on the sidelines. Because when the scripture says he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, the unclean spirits are not sitting on the sidelines. The enemy is not sitting this one out. And the good news is the Lord Jesus Christ is most certainly not inactive. Amen? The Holy Spirit is at work with great power. So in this passage, we see how the disciples were sent out and then what they're actually sent out to do. So one of the things we want to learn from this passage is to simply be able to answer the question, what does Jesus want you to be doing in the world today with your 
life. So if you were to take inventory of the last seven days, just say last Sunday to this Sunday, what percentage of your time was devoted and focused on sharing the gospel with other people? How about your prayer life? Was your prayer life focused in the direction of proclaiming that people should repent? And as you plan your day, and you already may be thinking about, here's what this week holds, is it on the radar that this week, what I'm commissioned and commanded to do is to go out and proclaim the gospel. One thing that I want us to see from this passage is there is no such thing as an unsent disciple. That would be an oxymoron. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are sent out to be his representative. You are sent out to share that there is a God and that he is good and he is full of grace. And Jesus is the redeemer who has come into the fallen and sinful world. So we are not sent out to be popular. One of the things we can just go in and reckon and resolve, right? You can put that to death. We're not sent out to be well-liked. Now, that doesn't mean that you're sent out to act like a jerk, right? Let your speech always be gracious, the Scripture says. But we are sent out into it with a particular manner. So uh, that's the first point we want to see from this passage is we're sent out in a particular manner. We're not sent out just to do anything we might choose to do or to do things in any old way we would choose to do them. If you know Jesus, this is one of the things that gets clarified quickly. He's God, we're not. So Jesus is not just anybody we would choose to make him out to be. It's very important that we don't do that. We're his representative. He's not ours. Does that make sense? And so he's the one telling us what to do, not us telling him what to do. You know, there's many people in the scriptures who do try to tell Jesus what to do. One of them was Martha. You remember when Jesus was in Martha's house, the scripture says that uh, she was busy with much serving. But then she gets irritated and frustrated because Jesus is in her house teaching. You might remember Mary, her sister, Martha's sister, was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha gets sort of all up in arms and she goes in and says to Jesus, Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving? So one of the things that you can know that maybe you're not being the best representative of Jesus in the world is if you've got a spirit of irritability and frustration, particularly about your church family members or people who are fellow representatives of Christ. Anytime you start telling Jesus what to do, let's come back to this passage, he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus sends out those who have been with him. Now, we understand this in the world. There are certain things that you hope and trust that people have received some training before they do certain things, right? I'll never forget uh, going to a place to get my hair cut. And I sit down in the chair, and the lady puts the, what's it called, the whatever over me. What's it called? I couldn't hear anything anybody said. Cape. It's a cape? Wow. No, it's a cape. Oh. It's on the front. The cool capes are on the back. Anyway, uh, I mean, she's just exuberant. She is excited. And uh, she kind of she looks at me and she says, you are the first person's hair I've ever cut. And I began to kind of politely inquire of sort of the training that she had received. And from all I could gather is the answer to that question was not much, you know. And... Uh, I got two haircuts that day, and I'll leave it at that. The one she gave me, and the other person I went to after that. And you know that about haircut. 
how about, how about a heart surgeon? What if you went in to get heart surgery and you say, what training have you received? Huh? I mean, watched a couple television shows about it. Would you stay there? Of course not. We understand, particularly the more important a role is, the more necessary there is accurate training. We can all agree on that, right? There is no more important task in the world than taking the gospel to the world. And so you see here, he calls the 12, and then he sends them out. This isn't the first day they've met. He's been with them at this stage of the Gospel of Mark about a year. So can we get a balance on this? If you're going to be his representative, you need to be trained by him. Amen? If you're going to be his representative, you need to be his disciple. You need to learn from him. You need to take his yoke upon you, as he says, and learn from him. Learn from him. And that begins to mean things like, if you're really learning from him, your character becomes more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit at work in your life begins to transform you. At the, at the deepest levels of who you exist as a human being, the level of your desires and your preferences, what you pursue and how you spend your time, and then you're going to be his representative. So let's say two things. Number one, he's called the 12. They've been with him. They've been with him in the boat when they thought they were going to go down, and he calms the storm. They've been with him when he healed the demoniac in the garrisons. They've seen it. They've been with him as he's healed lepers and, he's, uh, and as he's taught in the synagogue. They've listened to him. They've been with him regularly, and now that they've been with him, here's the other part, he's going to send them out. So, so you're understanding the balance. Nobody is sent out who hasn't been with him. But here's the other point. Nobody's going to be with him who isn't then sent out. Does that make sense? It is both. In other words, a heart surgeon doesn't spend his entire life in medical school and never perform heart surgery. In fact, the whole reason he's learning is what? So he can help. And that's the same thing that is true of Jesus. So often we're so self-centered, we think that we've come to Jesus and believe the gospel just for our own sake. And it is ongoing. Because you're going to see right here, we'll read a little, Mark chapter 6, verse 36. Or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, what does it say? The apostles returned to Jesus. So do you see when he sends them out, it's not like, okay, we'll never see each other again. No, now they've gone out and now they come back. And I don't know about you, this is how it works in my life. There's nothing that makes me realize how much I need Jesus than being in the world sharing the gospel about Jesus. Very quickly, see, I begin to learn, here's some more things I need to know. I'm not as patient as I thought that I was. So when somebody rejected the gospel or didn't have any interest in it, I got impatient. It makes sense. And we've used this illustration before, so we'll use it again. Everybody breathe in. It's the most natural thing in the world to do right now. Breathe out. That's how the Christian life is. Come and learn from me. That's like breathing in. We're studying the scripture right now. That's breathing in. You're at church this morning. You're, you're being edified and encouraged, I hope. <laughs> being around other believers is helpful. But all this is breathing in. We're going to leave from here. And what is that? Now I'm going to breathe out. I'm going to serve. I'm going to love. And it's both. So you never stop breathing in. And you never stop breathing out. We st never stop coming to Jesus to learn from him, but then we never uh, cease to be sent out by him. He calls the 12 and began to send them out two by two. So the disciples have been with him, and now they are sent by him. They've watched him endure criticism and persecution. They themselves at times have been critical, right? 
They themselves at times have been questioning. They themselves at times have been misunderstanding. So it might be helpful for you to know he doesn't send out perfect people. He doesn't send them out just when they've got it all figured out. They don't. So I want it to guard us. Sometimes we think, well, we'll, we'll start sharing the gospel when we know a little bit more. When, when, when uh, we know how to handle certain situations. Well, again, friends, there's no such thing as an unsent disciple. And to be more specific about it, there's no such thing as a disciple who doesn't make disciples. And I sincerely believe those who have most been with the real Jesus are quickest to take that gospel forth with boldness and courage. So uh, let's think about it this way. We'll use these stairs right here to just talk about uh, the ongoing work of the Lord in your life. How many of you have heard of the love of God? You've heard of the love of God. You've heard of God's love for you in Christ Jesus. I pray everybody in the room would be able to say yes and amen to that. You've heard about Jesus. Second step up would be not only have I heard it, you've known. You've known the love of God. It's not just some abstract lesson. You've, you've heard it, now you know it. You believe it. And then as you come to faith in Christ, you're filled with his love. Field, F-I-L-L-E-D. You've heard it, you've known it, and now when I talk about you're filled with the love of God, that shows up at work tomorrow. That shows up in the house tonight. You know what I'm saying? Say, so, well, why do you know what you're filled with? You just get shaken like a pitcher of what comes out of the pitcher, whatever's in the container, right? So if you're filled up with anger, that's going to come out. If you're filled up with lust, that's going to come out. If you're filled up with materialism, that's going to come out. So you've heard it, you've known it, you've filled it. Now I want to see this scripture and see what verb Paul uses. For the love, that's what we're talking about, of Christ. What's the verb there? Controls us. Because we've concluded this. When did he conclude it? He'd heard about it. He'd known it. He'd been filled with it. He's concluded something. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. You ready for some Holy Spirit conviction? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You've heard the love of God. You've known the love of God. You've been filled with the love of God. Now my question to you this morning is, are you controlled by the love of God? Are you controlled in what you say, how you think, how you, how you live? Now, it's these, who is writing this? The Apostle Paul. Who is Paul? One who's been sent out to a wicked place like Corinth where anything goes. And if you want to describe the people of Corinth, well, this is the same as today. Who are they? They live for themselves. See, when we're born into this world, you live for yourself. Any child ever been taught to be selfish? Any child ever been taught to get angry? Any child ever been taught to be? No. Why? They live for themselves. When you're born again, now what happens? Now you're going to live for him who for your sake died and has been raised. Are you controlled by the love of God in Christ Jesus? So first he sends, them, he sends out those who've been with him. Next I want you to see he sends them out with authority. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. I've been reminded about this all year long. 
that taking the gospel forth will make you a prime target for the enemy. Adrian Rogers says, if you haven't come face to face with the devil, you might want to take inventory. You might be headed in the same direction. So so they're going to go out into a world that is wicked, that is dark, that is ungodly, that is unrighteous. They're going to come face to face with the enemy. So what they need to know is they have authority. So remember the enemy, we do have a spiritual enemy, and his spiritual enemy's chief goal is to keep people from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's true right here in Rocky Mount. That's true to the ends of the earth. One of my brother's favorite stories to tell about me is from childhood when I was eight or nine years old. Rocky was popular back then, and it's probably the most foolish thing you could give boys as they're growing up. We got boxing gloves. And there was a boy who lived down the street from us who had a reputation for just being kind of a bookworm. I uh, don't mean this in any disrespectful way. I just, he just, he, this is kind of what he was known for. And so my brothers thought it would be funny to invite him to come have a boxing match. We were about the same age, a boxing match with me. And I said, oh, that'll be great. I'll, I'll whip him. So I got my boxing gloves on. We're in our front yard, and this young man comes. And, and I've seen Rocky, y'all. I've seen it. I've watched it. So I'm trying to mimic Rocky. This guy hauled off and about knocked my head off within the first seven seconds. And my brothers love to tell this story, and I wish I could tell you a different story, but it's true. He just walloped me. If you think that you're going to take the gospel forth and not face an enemy who is out to take your head off, then let's get the clarity here. You need to be given the authority of Jesus. Now, again and again, we'll just say this about spiritual forces of wickedness. They're real. They have a real target. And they're stronger and more powerful than you are. You might remember when some uh, foolish uh, exorcists in the book of Acts walk up into, to, uh, 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 to the demon-possessed man and says, uh, we're going to cast demons out. And the demons say to him, Jesus we know, Paul we know, who are you? They're greater than you, but they're not greater than him. Fighter verse. My father is greater than all. And I think we underestimate the reality of spiritual warfare. And I will tell you, as if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the goals of the enemy in your life is to make you so passive and inactive about this very matter that we're talking about. To fill your life up with any number of things that you feel like you've got to get done other than being sent out to proclaim the gospel. He gave them authority. Whose authority? His So the blood-bought disciple living in obedience to and under the authority of Jesus need not fear the enemy. Next we see here that he sends them out in pairs. He says he gave them authority. Well, he began to send them out. How does he do it? Two by two. Does he send 12 individual disciples out to 12 different places? No, he sends six pairs of disciples out. What does this mean? What it means is that there is great power in godly partnerships. We really need each other. So one of the things we see here is this is not a task for you to go do on your own. There is not a single singular pronoun except for the he referring to Jesus in this passage. He called them, sent them, gave them, charged them. They went out, they cast out, and all the way down to verse 30, the apostles returned and told him what they had done. Who's your gospel partner? 
Who's your gospel partner? Who's the one that you align yourself with? Why do you need a gospel partner? Can we talk about that? You need a trusted friend and gospel partner if you're going to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, if you're going to constantly be going against the current of the whole world around you and most everyone you know, and that's difficult. And if you're on your own, guess what you're going to do? I'm going to quit. One morning early this week, uh, I went with Abel to the Y, and uh, I was on the treadmill running, trying to run, and Abel was behind me, and he was on the elliptical, and the way the YMCA is situated, I could see my reflection in the big glass windows, and part of the reflection that I could see was Abel behind me, and I planned to do uh, an hour on the treadmill, and about 30 minutes in, you know what I started to think? I'm going to quit. I'm tired. And all these rationalizations begin to come into my mind. I've done enough. I've done more than I usually do. But then I kept, <laughs> I kept seeing this little head bobbing up behind me. Oh, man, he's still going at it on the elliptical. If I quit, he's probably going to quit. And I don't want him to quit. So, therefore, I'm not going to quit. Does that make sense? It's the same, same thing is true with gospel ministry. There have been many times I've gone to the Y by myself, and I said, here's what I'm going to do, and then I didn't do what I said I was going to do. You know why? Because I got tired. And then the rash. That's why you need somebody in your life. And we see this throughout the Scripture. David needs Jonathan. Moses needs Aaron. Paul needs Barnabas. And, and when they kind of have a disagreement, Paul goes and gets Silas. It's consistent. Why? The Scripture is always saying you need two witnesses. You need a gospel partner. We need each other to grow spiritually, to overcome sin and temptation, to stay on task. Everybody needs somebody in their life who says, whoa, 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 you did what? You're thinking about doing what? You need somebody who speaks truth into your life. We need to be rescued from this foolish notion that we are our own best counselor. You're not, and I'm not. The heart is deceitful above all things, the scripture says, and desperately wicked. So you've got to spend time with God-saturated people. Show me your three best friends, and I'll show you the course of your life. So we need a, a gospel partner. You know, they're going to get to that village. I thought about this. One of those is Judas, right? So one of the things we need is if somebody's guarding our content. And I sure hope if I said something that was not in line with the truth of Scripture, somebody would come to me and say, well, you said this, and are you sure about that? So we need a partner who guards the content of what we proclaim and keeps us from quitting every time. Now, you listen to me. I say this with kindness but with clarity. Every time I have counseled someone who has had a moral failure, 100% of the time, you know what's true? They lacked a godly friend who gave them any biblical counseling. And they've gone through a season of their life where they started to lie to themselves until the lies started to sound like the truth. Because we tend to justify and rationalize the most foolish decisions internally until the biggest lies sound like the truth. And you go back to the fighter verse. Jesus said, I know you. I know you. And when I send you out, here's how I'm going to do it. Two by two. They gave a report, not he. So let's get practical. If we ask the question, who's your gospel partner? Who is it that you pray with? that you go with. I mean, you really intentionally say, 
hey, we're going to go out here. I'm going to go this coworker. I want to share the gospel with. Who in my church family? Who's a brother? Who's a sister in the Lord that, that I can get with and we can go share the gospel? If you don't have an answer, get one. Get an answer. And I don't mean to sound like, uh, you know, old days of middle school, but you just go up and say, would you be my gospel partner? I need somebody in my life who holds me accountable, who speaks truth, and we can be sent out to Jesus together. Now, who do you get? Here's the answer. Who do you recognize has been with Jesus? Let's use the first point to get the second one. If you're a high school student, have you got somebody that you enter the school with? It's in class with you? And this is your understanding. We are here together to be representatives of Jesus. We all have probably got friendships of the flesh. We need friendships of the spirit. So who can you recognize around you that's already in your life that you say, I can, I can see this person has been with Jesus? Sent them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirit. And then let's go to the next verse. He charged them. All right, so this is important. It's, that's a strong word in the original Greek. It's not he suggested to them or he said, well, you might want to try this. He charges them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread. It's a walking staff, by the way, not a staff of people, right? Take no, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart if any place would not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony uh, against them. So here's what he charges them. He tells them to keep it simple and straightforward. We're the ones who tend to complicate this. We make taking the gospel forth more complicated than it really is. He tells them to keep it simple, keep it straightforward. What's he saying? You're going to travel lightly. We spend more time preparing to go than actually going. So he says, when you look around the world, you go to the village, look for hospitality. I mean, these are the days before holiday ends and Hampton ends and comfort ends. If they're going to go into a village, they're going to have to rely on the hospitality of the people that are in the village. So he says, if you go somewhere and you find interest, invest there. If you're rejected, move on. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Did you hear that? Is that the aim of your life, to please the one who enlisted you, who called you to himself? So don't get entangled. One of the best things we can do to be a more effective witness of Jesus is to allow God to untangle us from things that aren't in line with the mission that he has given to us. We tend to make the details of our own individual lives primary and taking the gospel forth secondary. And in this passage, Jesus turns that upside down. So just think of it in this way. What are the uh, three common questions we ask of ourselves? What am I going to eat? How many of you are already there this morning? It's already what's on your mind. All right, that's all right. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? And where am I going to stay. What's Jesus say? Simplify. Simplify. Travel light. Take your staff, you know, but no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. In other words, unentangle yourself. This is right what he preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Do not be anxious about your life. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? No, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added to you. And probably for everybody in the room this morning, we, we, this meets us right where we live. Is taking the gospel, sharing the gospel, loving people, uh, building relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel primary, or, or are the details of my life primary? And inevitably, the other will be secondary. So Jesus says, keep it simple. I need this reminder in my life almost daily. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Hey, if, if you have interest in a house, what does Jesus say? You stay there. And if they reject you, and sometimes that is so painful, isn't it? If they won't receive you, if they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So he sends them out with a particular, in a particular manner, and, and then, let's get this, he sends them out with a particular message. A particular message. So we'll go on and take these two points at, at, a, at a time. First, they are to help those with physical needs while addressing their spiritual needs. I'll give you these two points, and then we'll talk about them together. And then they are to proclaim repentance. They are to proclaim repentance. So they went out, been trained up, been filled up. Now they're going to be sent out. So they went out and didn't just do any old thing. It says, and proclaimed that people should repent. On the count of three, I want everybody to say the word Repent, all right? One, two, three. Does anybody know when Jesus began to preach in Matthew chapter 4? You can look it up if you want to. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach the kingdom of God, saying, anybody know the first word out of his mouth? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. How would you summarize the preaching ministry of John the Baptist? What was his main message? Repent. Now, the disciples are sent out. What's their message? Repent. When the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost and, and Peter's proclaiming, what is his message? They say, what should we do? Repent. When the Apostle Paul preaches, you read his letters, what is his message? Repent. So, can we ask the obvious question? What does it mean to repent? I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again. I'm just divulging all the family stories uh, today. Uh, and this is one from uh, my mom's side of the family. Her sister, uh, my aunt, and my grandma were leaving Atlanta, Georgia to travel to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. So they got in the car and having a great time singing, laughing. And as they're driving, they see a sign that says, Welcome to Alabama. Now, if you know your geography, if they left from Atlanta, Georgia to travel to Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and they just saw a sign that says, Welcome to Alabama, that means what? They're headed in the wrong direction. When we went to Atlanta, Georgia earlier this year with a group of college students, um, we, were, we, we stopped off for lunch, <laughs> and I got back in the car, got back on the road, and I had my phone, and the GPS said, take the next exit and turn around. And here's how foolish I am. I, this, I said, something's wrong with the GPS. And you just think about how foolish that is. 
this multi, I don't even know what price tag to put on it, system has satellites in outer space tracking me where I am, and I just told it, it's wrong. And I fly right past the exit. Guess what the GPS voice says? I've got it set to a little British voice because I like British accents, so I won't repeat the British accent. But it said, at the next exit, pull off and turn around. And the next exit was about three miles. And uh, somebody in the van, won't name any names, had already kind of kindly suggested this question. Are we headed in the right direction? Now, what had happened was we got off for lunch. We're going back to the highway. We're on, what is it, I-20. I should be on I-20 East. I'm not really paying attention. I'm on I-20 West. I'm headed back to Atlanta. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And our default setting is to tell the Lord he's wrong. We're born into this world heading in the wrong direction. We're headed for destruction. We're headed away from God. And he uses the scripture. He uses other believers. This is why This is why he sends us out. Because the whole world around us is headed in the wrong direction. And if nobody says, you need to pull off and turn around, they never will. And you know who he sends out to proclaim that message? Those who have themselves repented. So you need to make sure... As you do love and serve the world around you, you're not headed in the same direction as they are. That's why it's confrontational at times. Now, not in arrogance, you say, hey, man, you're headed in the wrong direction. I used to as well. Remember, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy. See, Jesus is the only human being who's ever been born in the world that wasn't headed in the wrong direction. He's born without sin. died for our sin. Repentance is knowing the direction I'm going in is leading me away from Jesus, not to the Lord. Repentance, it's uh, metanoia is the Greek word. It means literally a change of mind. Have you ever realized in your thinking now, whatever controls the mind or whatever fills the mind controls the heart. The world you live in tells you the opposite. The scripture says, I need to change my mind. I need to change my mind. Do you need repentance this morning? Repentance is initial for the follower of the Lord and ongoing. It's not this one-time deal. I did that back in 1989. No, it's ongoing. Bear fruit in, does the scripture say? keeping with repentance. So a brief reminder of somewhere we've been in the not-too-distant past. Repentance is getting the right ruler back in place in life. So can I just briefly remind you of the four most common false kings of your life? Number one is anger. Anger is a controller. Anger is a king. So let me just ask you a few questions this morning. Is your conscience clear with every person? When you get jostled, does anger spill out? I ask it this way. What would my children say of me? Can I say there's not a relationship in my life that I've not sought to restore? 
Am I quick to bear and forgive those who wrong or hurt me? Anger, anger is a king, but anger is a false king. I told you there's four, anger is one. Number two is lust. Do I love and dwell on things that are true, pure, and good? Am I willing to give up all known sin for the betterment of knowing God? You see that Jesus is better. (laughs) Jesus is better. His sheep want to follow him, I believe. But lust is is a king. It's a false king, but can control your life. Third false king is pride. So we might ask this question, am I more concerned with what God thinks about my life than what others think about my life? Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people just to be noticed by them. Am I more concerned about pleasing God than I am about being accepted or appreciated by others? So there's king anger, king lust, king pride, and then we might just call king materialism or the king love of money or king greed. What do my receipts reveal about my priorities? Are my goals or my affections fixed on eternal things? Have I ever been brought to a point in my life that anything that is not of the Lord has no room in my life anymore? I want to be there, friends. I really do. That's an initial desire, but then it needs to be an ongoing desire because these kings don't don't just leave the throne (laughs) willingly. Say, oh, okay, though they keep coming back. Anybody realize this in life? Well, we talked about this for the first time four months ago on the first Sunday in October about the king anger, king lust, king greed, king pride. And I can guarantee you, if you revealed on that Sunday morning whatever the false king in your life is, they fought back, haven't they, over these last four months? Some of us would look back and we're here that Sunday. It was a powerful Sunday. I said, man, I want to be free of this, but now four months has gone by and you've learned that they are persistent. So, so let's get an application here. We will never proclaim the good news until we believe it ourselves. So we can't go out and say, he's the king, he's the king. And now, wait, what's actually reigning in my life is anger, lust, greed, pride, materialism. If that's so, if you have a false king ruling in your life, what we're talking about this morning will always sound like someone's putting a guilt trip on you to do this rather than this is the greatest privilege I have in my life. Does that make sense? The king anger is the king, and someone says you need to go proclaim King Jesus, you might say, yeah, I should, but here's what's true. I don't want to. You say, I should go. I should get a gospel partner. We should go share the gospel with this friend of mine in the third period. I should go share the gospel with this friend of mine. And do you see? Do you see why it's not a throwaway line? He gave them authority over the darkness. Why? Because the darkness will have anger, lust, greed, materialism as the ruler of your life. And it disconnects you from the power of God so that the mission he gave us becomes a guilt trip, not the, oh, what's the word? You see how sufficient the scripture is? Not what I'm controlled by. How do you get to controlled by the love of God? See, it's not a guilt trip that gets you there. It's not. You know what frees you from anger? The love of God. 
in Christ Jesus. You know what frees you from lust? You know when you'll finally give it up? Is when you know the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know when you finally give up the greed and the materialism and life is just about the next bread, outfit, money belt? You know when you say, I'll leave all those things down. I don't need the latest, the newest, the whatever, the gadget, whatever. I, it's not what I live for. Because you found the right ruler of the heart. Life will always be about bread, bags, money, clothing, reputation, how people respond to you until you really know the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when you really know the love of God in Christ Jesus, guess what your response is? You're going to love him right back. When you really know him. I can assure you of this. He really knows you. (laughs) He really knows your heart. He really knows what controls you. He really knows what fills you. He really knows what you've heard about him. So, in conclusion this morning, if your heart this morning is full of acidic anger, he knows. And he can heal. If your heart this morning is drowning in lust, he knows. And he can heal. If your heart is obsessed with pride and self, he can help you really live. And if your heart is gripped by greed or materialism, the love of God in Christ Jesus can transform you into being the most generous and sacrificial person just like he is. So here's how we'll do the invitation this morning. We'll come at it from this angle or this perspective. Now, in light of what we talked about earlier, breathing in, breathing out, here's the invitation. Every person in the room this morning needs either to come to Christ or be sent by him. Now, ultimately, as we've studied together, those go together, right? But I'm talking about where you are sitting right now. If there's something else that controls your heart other than the love of Christ, the invitation from Jesus is, you can come to me. So I can guarantee it's just a matter of time. We know this invitation, but I want you to listen to it. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because I give you a promise from heaven itself. If anger controls you, you are not at rest. If lust controls you, you are weary. If greed controls you, you are restless. If pride controls you, life's not the life you were created to have. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I can give you rest. And you rest it up to be sent out. And it'll be necessary in time to come back and rest again. But there's a difference between being weary in doing good, don't grow weary in doing good, and weary in looking to a false king again and again and again. Some of you this morning, when you read the statement of the Apostle Paul, that the love of Christ controls me, love of Christ controls me, your heart resounds with that. And say, yeah, that is That is what controls my life. Now I need grace. I need a gospel partner. (laughs) I need to know where to go and how to proclaim. Does that make sense? That's our invitation. So how do I respond to it? I'm going to go back to the fighter verse. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Just follow him. Just follow him. There's not some specific now step. You've got to come here and come to the front and get on your knee. Welcome to do that. 
Sometimes that's necessary for my soul to seek the Lord. God, why am I still living for this? <laughs> why am I giving myself back over to this false king? I know it's false. Help me. I need rest. I need to be restored. I need to be with you. Or this morning, it's welling up in you. I got to go. Some of you might be welling up. I got to go. I got to go to the nations. I got to go proclaim Jesus. So what, what are you going to do? You're going to follow him and seek his face. Get your gospel partner. Be ready to go. Now, every person in the room either needs to come to him for rest or be sent by him to proclaim. And that's how the Christian life will always work. It is like breathing. Come to him. Be sent by him. Come to him. Be sent by him. Which is more the pressing beat of your heart today? God, I need help in healing my heart. Or God, I need to return to a life lived on mission for you. What is controlling you this morning?